Good morning, everyone. It's really, really lovely to see you all here today, and thank you very much for coming out to be with us in Dundonald Elam. And a big thank you also to those who are joining us online. It's really brilliant to be able to welcome you into our services every week and to know that our services are watched around the world is is such a blessing and we just encourage those of you who are online to connect with us let us know on a Facebook page who you are where you're listening in from and also if God's speaking to you and we pray that he will do that. My name is Pip and it's my privilege to share God's word with you. Today we start what is traditionally known as Holy Week. It's a a time when Christians all over the world will remember a series of events that culminated with the greatest act of, of providential love the world has ever seen. When Jesus died on a cross to save us from our sins. And when he rose triumphantly from the dead. Holy Week is celebrated by different traditions and in lots of different ways, but generally this week begins today on Palm Sunday as we think and reflect upon the triumphal entry. On Monday, Christians will remember when Jesus turned the tables in the temple and he cursed the fig tree. On Tuesday, Christians will remember stories, parables that Jesus told and encounters that he had with religious leaders. On Wednesday, it's sometimes called Spy Wednesday. We remember when Judas went to the high priest to make plans to betray our Savior. On Thursday, Monday Thursday, M-A-U-N-D-Y, it's a Latin word that means command, We remember the Last Supper and Jesus' command to love one another. And then Good Friday is when we remember the crucifixion. And as Pastor Davey said, we would really encourage you as a priority. If you do not have a church to come and join with us here and and worship and reflect on, on the cross and the power of the cross and what it has accomplished for us in our lives. And then Saturday, or Black Saturday, is is when Christians remember the the time between the death and when Jesus rose from the dead. And of course, Easter Sunday is that great celebration when we remember that Jesus is alive. And again, we ask you and encourage you to come out. There's a great weekend of events planned here, and we would love you to celebrate all of this with us. It's an incredible week. Lots of people will approach Easter in in many different types of ways. Some will will see Easter as as nothing more than a a holiday time when lots of chocolate eggs are eaten. Others will go to church, but some will go to church out of routine. Some will go to church out of tradition or sentimentalism, i.e. church is what we always do at Christmas time and also Easter time. But whatever has brought you to church today, whatever has encouraged you to listen online, we are so delighted that you're here. But we pray that this will be a week like never before when we all encounter the living Jesus through faith and worship. 
I said, Holy Week always begins on, on Palm Sunday when we remember the triumphal entry. Some scholars think that it, it could well have been the Monday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, but that's highly irrelevant for this talk. What is important is the actual event and, and what it communicates to us. The triumphal entry is recorded in all four of the Gospels. And when a story is recorded in all four Gospels, it is done so for a reason. And the reason is because of its significance. And something I would actually encourage you to do if you are serious about Bible study is when you find or discover a story that's in more than one gospel, to get and print out all of the different gospel accounts of that story, put them beside each other and try and merge the information in a chronological order. Because the different gospels give different bits of information and today's story is a, a classic example of that. And what you'll do is you'll finish then with the full story, the full picture. And in a minute we'll read from Mark's gospel. So if you want to look up Mark chapter 11, that would be great. But we will reference the other gospel accounts too. But before we read that, I just want to set the scene for us and, and the context, what all was going on, what was taking place. The context of today's story is that Jews from, from all over the world were traveling to Jerusalem for the great feast of Passover. The city would have been absolutely packed, jam-packed full of people. They would have gathered for Passover to look back to that time when God liberated his people from the hands of the Egyptians. But make no doubts about it, this was also a time when the Jews would have been looking forward to their, that time when they were expecting and anticipating and hoping that their great deliverer, the Messiah, would come again and deliver, liberate them once more. You see, in Jewish eyes at this time, the, the golden prophetic promises from the Old Testament. They had not materialized. Israel was laboring under the oppressive military regime of Rome. And during this feast, Jerusalem would have been a cauldron of unrest. Every Jew longing for the fulfillment of prophecy, longing for their messianic deliverer who would restore the throne of David and establish God's kingdom, longing for their Davidic king who they believed was going to topple the Romans and, and liberate them from their oppression. The atmosphere during this Passover week would have been one charged with that celebration, but also longing, anticipation, and expectancy. In terms of Jesus, the context was that he had already set his face towards Jerusalem. And he knew what was ahead of him. But also being a faithful Jew, Jesus was faithfully going to celebrate the Passover, Passover feast. And in a minute when we read Mark chapter 11, in verse 1 we'll see that it says, Jesus drew near to Bethpage and Bethany. That's really important in terms of our context. Why it mentions Bethany? Because Bethany was the home of Mary Martha and the recently raised to life, Lazarus. And in John chapter 12, verse 8, the importance of getting all of the different accounts, it mentions that a, a significant number of Jews were heading towards Bethany to see the recently raised to life, Lazarus. Yes, to see Jesus, but also to see Lazarus worded and spread about this miracle like wildfire. And it was one of the big reasons for the surging crowds. In fact, the chief priests saw Lazarus as such a, 
a problem for them that in, in John 12, verse 10, they actually plotted to kill Lazarus. They wanted to kill the recently raised life man and get him out of the way because of what he spoke of in relation to Jesus. Now also for context, Mark records that Jesus had just healed blind Bartimaeus too. So there was a significant amount of interest and excitement in people to see Jesus and also Lazarus. So that gives us a little bit of context. And we're going to read the account in Mark chapter 11. And we'll start reading at verse 1. This is the inspired and the authoritative word of God. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem, folks, that is a, a statement marking the start of the final phase of Jesus' three-year ministry. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the, to the village opposite you and as soon as you have entered it, you will see, find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went on their way and found the colt tied by the door outside on the street and they loosed it. But some of them, those who stood there, said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road and cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who were following cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Amen. And we know God will add his blessing to this reading from his word. And what I would like to do over the next number of minutes together is look at two important parts of this story and, and try and bring out some teaching from them and also then suggest a way in which we can apply this scripture to your lives. The first important part of the story I want to make mention of is the cult. The cult. We read here how Jesus told his disciples, go into the village uh, where you'll find a cult. You're to loose it and bring it back to me. And he also gave instruction in terms of how they were to respond if the owners questioned them. Now, that series of events shows us today just how in control Jesus was, just how in charge he was of everything. Contrary to some modern day interpretations, Jesus was not heading into this procession blindly. He was not going to stumble across the events we remember in Holy Week unaware. No, he knew exactly what was happening. He knew exactly what he was going to do and he was intentional about these events. He was the sovereign master of his own fate, the Lord of history, not the hapless victim of events spiraling out of control and culminating in a death on a cross. 
He had embraced this significant moment in eternity past. So he made arrangements for the donkey, fully aware that Judas would betray him, fully aware that Peter would deny him, fully aware that his disciples would desert him, fully aware that he would endure a scourging so cruel and so barbaric and then be hung on a cross. But let's look at this colt a little bit more. Colt, of course, was a a young donkey. And the fact Jesus asked in verse 2 for a donkey which had never been sat upon is important because it shows that Jesus saw and knew the significance of this holy moment. See, Jews regarded animals that had never been sat upon or never been used as being especially useful for holy purposes. For instance, or example, in, in 1 Samuel 6 verse 7, the request is given out to go and find cows that could carry the cart which contained the Ark of the Covenant. But they were specifically asked, find cows that have never been ridden on or never been used. So Jesus was fully aware and in asking for a never used cold understood the significance, holy significance of this moment. Now we might wonder, well, why did Jesus not ask for a great horse to, to ride into Jerusalem that had never been used? But again, what happened would not have been lost on the people. Donkeys were used in biblical times for extremely significant moments. Donkeys served as royal transport in ancient Israel. In 2 Samuel 16 verse 2, King David was given the present of donkeys for him and his royal household to ride upon. In 1 Kings 1, 38 to 40, King Solomon or Solomon rode into Jerusalem on his father David's donkey for his coronation. Donkeys carried kings. Donkeys carried prophets. And now this colt, unused, carried the Messiah, the Messiah of God. Donkeys were also seen in biblical times as a sign of humility. So Holy Week starts with our humble king beginning his journey towards Golgotha. But the ultimate holy significance of riding an unused donkey into Jerusalem was to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. Again, the importance of reading all of the gospel accounts. Matthew 21 verse 5 outlines the prophecy of Zechariah 9 verse 9, which was made over 500 years before Jesus walked on this earth. And it says this, Behold, your king is coming to you, your Messiah, lowly, humble, and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey, You see, this only occasion in the Bible where it mentions Jesus ever riding on an animal, it was not because he was tired, but it was because he was clearly identifying himself as the fulfillment of Zechariah's messianic prophecy. And the fact Jesus knew the precise location of this animal, the the precise nature of the animal, and also the disposition of the owners showed his divine knowledge and how in control of all of this He was. It's a really important part of the story. The second important part I want to highlight is the crowd. In verse 7, it says that there were many in the crowd. Matthew 21 says it was a great multitude. Luke 19 says there were many. John 12 says that the great multitude was so vast 
And in verse 19, the Pharisees said, the whole world has gone after Jesus. It was a significant crowd. And yes, the, the raising of Lazarus was an important part of what prompted interest, but the focus in this procession was the one with a capital O who was sitting on the colt. It's interesting that when Jesus was born, it say, the Bible tells us that King Herod and all of Jerusalem were troubled. However, this time, as Jesus approached Jerusalem, Matthew 21 says, all of Jerusalem was stirred are moved. Friends, how much do we need Ireland to be stirred once again and moved with the power and the hope and the love of Jesus Christ? We desperately need that to happen again. But look at the actions of the crowd. Before Jesus sat, or as Luke says, he was set, some would say that was a, almost like an enthronement he was set on, but it's clear the disciples didn't fully know what all was going on. It says they put their clothes on the animal, and then many people started to spread their clothes on the ground, and then others, leafy, or as John says, palm branches were put on the ground too. It all seems a little bit strange to us in our culture, but it would not have been strange to those in attendance. And it communicates very clearly to us that this crowd was starting to see Jesus as the Messiah. Very much so. You see, Jesus had shunned for much of his public, much of his ministry, any public attention on his Messiahship, but this was very, very, very public. And what happened here, whenever the crowd started to do these strange activities for us. You, you know, when you see a dignity being honored, often the red carpet is rolled out. This was ancient Jewish red carpet treatment. You see, the spreading of garments on the street was a, an ancient act of homage reserved for royalty. And it was a gesture that also signified submission I am under your feet. If you, you have a Bible, turn, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, where we read about the enthronement or, or the anointing of Jehu as king of Israel, just to give an example. In 2 Kings 9, verse 13, it says this, Then every man hastened, to take off his garments and put it under him, under Jehu, on the top of the steps, and they blew trumpets saying, Jehu is king. The clothes strewn under his feet were a gesture of honor that signified submission. And the act that we read about in the triumphal entry suggests that the people were honoring Jesus as the king of the Jews. The palm branches from which we get Palm Sunday were also significant. Palm branches were used in the scriptures for many different reasons. Palm branches and the waving of them was seen as a, a symbol of joy. But they were also very much associated with the Messiah. 
For hundreds of years, the waving of palm branches had become a symbol of the Jewish people's expectation of their coming Messiah. Now, this was the Passover feast, but I want to take you very quickly to another one of the great feasts of the Jewish calendar, tabernacles. Because every day during that week of tabernacles, there would be special processions around the altar where people would be waving palm branches to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west, to indicate God is everywhere. But as they would wave them, they would cry out these words, Hosanna, save us. We we use Hosanna as a modern day praise term, but originally it meant save us. And of course, tabernacles was all about the anticipation of the coming Messiah. And what are these people doing? During this procession, they lay down palm branches and they cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. The significance of this would have been noted by lots of people there. By doing this action and declaring these words, I believe many in this crowd were saying, here is the fulfillment of tabernacles. The Messiah. Then the crowd began to burst into song. Songs of ascent from the Psalms that would always have been sung as they climbed up that hill to Jerusalem to pay homage during all the feasts. But particularly notable was the the homage that would be paid on the way to Passover. But the fact they now start to direct this familiar phraseology towards Jesus Christ, the soon-to-be Lamb of God, they direct the Hebrew Hallel towards him, says they were declaring this is the Messiah. They gave him the messianic title, the son of David. A few days earlier, blind Bartimaeus had singularly cried out, son of David. Now a whole crowd was declaring this with, great exuberance. There's no doubt what they were declaring, friends. In Luke 19, the religious leaders tell Jesus, shut your disciples up. (laughs) Jesus turns to them and said, if they're quiet, the stones will cry out instead. (laughs) Such a wonderful reply. There's actually no response made to that from the Pharisees. (laughs) You make your choice, guys. Singing children or singing walls, but the Lord of creation... He will be praised. So the significance of laying down clothes and and branches is important. Palm branches are also associated in Scripture with salvation. In Revelation 7 verse 9, we're told this. Another great multitude in heaven, which no one can number, from all nations, tribes, people, tongues, will stand before the throne. And who? And the Lamb, the Passover lamb. They will stand before the throne and the lamb, clothed with white, with palm branches in their hands and crying in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. What an awesome story. What an incredible story. And hopefully we can see just some of the significance contained in it. For the last few minutes, I want to suggest a way in which we can land this teaching and and see how it applies to us. I wonder if this Easter, can we come 
before our living Messiah, Jesus, and truly submit our lives to him afresh. You know where you are in your walk with him today. The casting of clothes on the ground was an act of submission. Can we submit our lives to Jesus afresh? But you know, many of us know how the story turns out. That the adulation of this crowd was fickle. People got caught up in mob hysteria. And they soon changed their tune. Within a week, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John all record the significance of this moment because the cries changed from Hosanna to crucify. How? How could such a radical change take place and so quickly? How could the adulation and worship turn into abject rejection. And again, Jesus, in his sovereignty, he knew all about the mob reaction. He knew that it was superficial, and we actually get an insight into how Jesus was feeling during this procession. Luke tells us that as Jesus drew near Jerusalem, he wept. He wasn't feeling exalted. He wasn't feeling honored. He wept. John 12, verse 12 says that Jesus says this, my soul is troubled. He didn't get whipped up with the superficiality of the hysteria. He was focused on what he had to do. He knew what was ahead of him and his face was set like flint towards Jerusalem where he would die for you and for me. How could people change their cry so quickly? Mark 15 gives us an answer to that. When Jesus was standing before Pilate and he asked the crowd, what will we do with Jesus? It says that the religious leaders had stirred up the crowd to cry, crucify. Interesting, they stirred up. It's amazing that earlier we said the whole of Jerusalem was stirred up and moved with the Son of God. Now they were stirred in a very different way. And I also say that Ireland needs a stirring and a moving, but not a stirring and a moving like that, which is superficial and very temporary. What Ireland needs is a sovereign, unprecedented revival move of God's Holy Spirit, where he brings this nation to its knees in submission and in surrender to him. I wonder... When we're in work on Mondays or when we're with our families or in our friendship circles, does the atmosphere there incite us to dull down the excitement and enthusiasm and adoration of our worship on a Sunday? I wonder, do we get caught up in what happens in church but soon change our tune? But as we draw to a close, <clears throat> do you know what I, why I think most of these people changed their tune so quickly? I think it's because they had unrealistic expectations of Jesus. They were expecting a Messiah who would overthrow the Roman regime, 
the son of David, they cried. You read a little bit of what sort of a king warrior King David was, and that will give us an idea as to what they were expecting from their Messiah. And because of unrealistic expectations, you can actually see why the tune changed so quickly. In the midst of the hysteria at all that's going on, Jesus rode through the eastern gate into Jerusalem and he goes up into the precincts of the temple. And what is the climax of the story? He does nothing. Mark 11 tells us he had a look around the temple and he went home. What an anticlimax to this great triumphal procession that we think about. He did not lead the mob in a rousing speech. He did not lambast the, the Roman fortress. He didn't even raise a finger. He had a look round and he made the two-mile journey home to Bethany. What sort of a king was this? The next day he turns the tables in the temple. What's this? Jesus, you're supposed to be having a go at the Romans, not us. Then during the week he said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. What? This is not what we were expecting. They wanted him to attack. This was the Prince of Peace. This was the Prince of Peace who humbly rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He was radically different to what they were expecting. He didn't come to bring an earthly political kingdom. He came to bring God's rule in people's hearts. Then a few days later, he is arrested. What is that all about? What sort of king wears a crown fastened with thorns? The fickle crowd were happy to heal Jesus as their Messiah as long as he did what they wanted. They were happy to lay down their cloaks of submission as long as it was on their terms. But when they realized it wasn't, they cried for blood. It did not matter that Lazarus was still walking about the streets. The greatest miracle the city had ever seen. Not even that could sway allegiance to a Messiah who would not give what they wanted. Unrealistic expectations. But friends, how often can we be like that with Jesus? How often is our allegiance and our submission and our surrender to him on our terms? How often do we only turn to Jesus to sort out our problems? And we all encounter difficulties in life. Many here today will know and think about a relationship that did not go the way they wanted. That healing which did not come, that promotion that was passed by them or that loved one who passed away. Everyone here knows what it's like to experience tragedy, but often in those moments, it is easy to have unrealistic expectations of Jesus. If our worship is only fueled with a desire for God to sort out our problem, very quickly that worship will turn to anger and a slide away from God when things don't work out the way we hope. I'm not saying that we should not pray for healing or restoration. Absolutely. Until God says no, we keep praying for a yes. But I am saying this, that we should not base the depth of our submission to Jesus Christ upon whether he gives us what we want or not. Too many people get resentful. Too many get bitter. Too many blame God and turn away from Jesus because they didn't get 
what they wanted. If within a week, people could change from lauding the Son of God who raised Lazarus to looking for his blood, that quick reaction and change of heart is not beyond us. None of us know what this week ahead holds, even Holy Week. What sort of worship is Jesus Christ looking from us today? Worship not just in what we sing, yes, in what we sing, but in the lives that we live. What sort of worship is he looking for? He's looking for worship that is real, that is authentic, that is true, that is deep in our hearts. Worship that responds to him alone, not on our terms. Love that is abandoned to him, that abandons itself to the king and his commitment to us. Love that says, Jesus, no matter what my lot in life, no matter what comes my way, I love you, and I'm never going to give up on you. I am surrendered. I am submitted, no matter what life throws my way. He never promised us an easy life. Actually, do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, no servant is above his master. So if our master chose the way of a cross, the way of Golgotha, he's looking for a people today who are prepared in this moment, not to get incited by an atmosphere, but in our heart of hearts to say, I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to follow Jesus. We must not ask God to fit into our expectations. We worship him as the king he is our Lord, our sovereign. And as we reflect over this Holy Week, actually, what we see is a God who does not let us down, a God who accomplished everything that he came to do on this earth. What did Jesus come to do? He came to seek and to save sinners, and he did it all, which is why on Good Friday we remember that cry, it is finished, the work is done, the way is now open for salvation. What expectations can we have today? Here's one. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Every one of us who calls upon the name of the Lord online or in this room who hasn't done it yet will be saved. That is absolutely guaranteed. And one day, Jesus Christ is coming back. We can fully expect that. Yeah, the fickleness of the crowd turned on him when there were many other tens of thousands of people in that city that day who completely ignored Jesus. And there are many millions around the world, sadly, over this Easter will ignore and reject him too. But one day, he is coming back, not on a donkey, but on a white horse. And he is coming for his people and every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Friends, do not make this Palm Sunday a superficial time. Jesus is not looking for fickle adoration on a Sunday which is gone by Monday. He's looking for our lives. I wonder if this Easter, can we come before our Messiah Jesus? And submit to him afresh. Bringing him worship that he's due and worthy of. Worship that as we reflect throughout this holy week. Says I'm in this for the long haul. I'm in this for the good. No matter what comes my way Jesus. You're the Messiah. And you have my heart. Amen.